becoming a partner in the vision. That's what tonight's about. Would you be willing to become a partner in the vision? Would you be willing to join with other people? Would you be willing to join with Joyce and I and others and say, hey, we're up for it and uh, we're up for God taking us to the future. And Andreas and his wife, Sheila, um, rocked up at church, a couple of crazy artists from Spain, trying to find some work in Berlin and, and uh, met some people, brought them to the house of God and, and they never left. And their beautiful daughter now is in the house of the Lord. Last week, she was front center right here headphones on, but she was ready to go. She was ready to go and she was almost leading the worship team. And she's not even one and a half years of age, you know what I mean? She's ready to go. She's already got authority over her life. And, but what I love is, is um, you know, people have come and gone and uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's, uh, but there are people that come and stay. And so we just got to realize is um, that, you know, if we look at the average time someone stays in a church right now, it could be around three, three and a half years. Um, but that's typical of a lot of areas of people's lives. You know, how long are you in a relation for? You know, and sometimes it's, it's not even three years, three months. It's like we can't live our lives in temporary mode. And some things are temporary. It's possible you'll change your job many times. That's not a negative. It used to be, but it's not so much now. But you can't live your life loyal to no one. You've got to live your life loyal to someone. And you've got to get your loyalty worked out. Loyalty works up, not down. Loyal to the one that is loyal to you. Faithful to the one who is faithful to you. Love to Him who has, will, who has always loved us with an everlasting love. So you've got to work out who your loyalty is to. And that is, it's to the King. It's to the, the one that is the shepherd of our lives. And that's why I say tonight, you know, worship is not watching people worship. You know, watching is not worship. It's watching. <laughs> and it's not nice to stare. Um, you know, I, I find it a little bit diff difficult living here because I find that people stare at you. Have you noticed that? No one notices that. It must be me. I must be just self-conscious or something. But, you know, like I, 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 I sometimes want to say, you know, it's rude to stare. But, but, you know, when you say it in English, it doesn't have the same impact. If I said it in Deutsch, it might mean something. But the point I'm making is, is don't be a person that watches what God's doing in someone else's life. Allow God to work in your life. Oh, I see how God is being good to them. Well, He wants to be good to you. Oh, I like how God's using that person. He wants to use you. So there's no favorites in the kingdom. You're all. You're all his sons and daughters. It's just that some of us act like it. You know, some of us act like orphans or slaves, but we're all sons and daughters of God. So vision is a big part of how God leads us. He's a God of vision. For God so loved the world, vision, that he gave his only son, mission. You know, when Jesus died and rose again and he spent some time with the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus at that time. And it was a small group of people, but well, it wasn't that small. It was hundreds and hundreds of people that were turning up after Jesus rose again from the dead. If you read the book of um, Acts, you'll see that he turned up and spoke about the things of heaven in a profound way. He explained the scriptures detail by detail. 
What you're looking for is me. <laughs> I'm in every book of the New Testament. I'm in every book of the Bible. I'm in every book in the Old Testament. <laughs> what you're looking for is me. That there, that points to me. That there, points to me. That there, points to me. That there, points to me. It's profound and He spends time helping them understand that. And it's amazing how God chooses rough fishermen to carry His message into the future. In other words, God doesn't pick the dream team like we do. You know, if you're picking your basketball team, who would you pick? You wouldn't pick me. <laughs> who would you pick? Joshua. Because he's... But I've got a tall heart. You might be tall on the outside, but I'm tall on the inside. Put us together, we're a dream team. God doesn't pick the way Greg picks. God doesn't pick the way you pick. He picks the way He picks. He may not have picked, you know what I'm saying? Like He, he picked you. And you got to say, wow, that's amazing. I wouldn't have picked me, but He picked you. And that's why you got to remember that's going to change the way you do life because if you're always taking yourself out and God's always trying to put you back in, you've got to at some point get hold of vision and vision and mission is going to make your confidence stand out a lot more. And so I want you to know tonight, we're going to spend some time looking at the characteristics of a standout person. The characteristics of a standout person. It's not about us being superheroes. It's got nothing to do with that. You know, it's about us being a part of, a, of, a, of, of, of the only hero and that is Jesus. But Jesus, he, he, he gets us into collectiveness, not individualness. We are always gonna be individuals. We're never, your uniqueness is profound and you'll never stop being a unique individual. However, your uniqueness put together with other uniqueness becomes incredible. Collective strength always does better than individual strength. And that's why the church is better when it's united. It's harmonious. It's got a common purpose, even though we're from different backgrounds, different stories. So as a church, we have a vision and that is obviously to change people's perceptions about Jesus and His church. We live in Europe, which means Europe's already had Christianity once. And I don't know if you've been into movies or anything like that, but when you see one movie, the sequel is always under great pressure. We compare, not as good as the first. I thought Top Gun, the second one was better. But what I am saying is, is that Christianity in Europe, again, post everything culture. Are we post-Christian? I don't know, but people argue we are and others say we aren't. But the point is, you live in Berlin and you'll feel like you are definitely post, you know, it's, it's just a, a non-entity. So we, we, we're the unusual. We definitely stand out. Peculiar. Strange. It's not normal. Sleeping around is normal. Keeping yourself for Him and for whoever you're gonna spend the rest of your days with is definitely not considered normal. You're getting married, you're so young. It, it, marriage is almost a non-entity in this city. But Jesus knows how to call His people out of darkness into the light. He knows how to put His hand upon you and He knows how to separate you. He knows how to make you His. 
And you should be proud to know that you know Him and He knows you. But it takes courage to stand out. It's easy to blend in, but it takes great courage to stand out. And so vision, the vision that God has given us is definitely about standing out. His vision becomes our vision. His mission is now our mission. So we're in Berlin and we need to understand that out of, I think it's close to 4 million now, but anywhere from 3.7 to 4 million reasons why we're building a church in Berlin. I don't think the city's ever recovered from World War II in terms of population density, but what I am saying is getting close. But let me tell you, you'll be very hard to get less, more than five or even 10,000 people gathering in the churches across this city today. Now, go and prove me wrong. What am I wrong by 10,000, 20,000? Do the numbers. Take 20,000 away from 3.7 or 4 million people, you'll realize it's still 0.000 something. Are we gonna change the city? No, not in our current state. But we've just been singing about what God can do. All He's looking for is you and me, His people, willing to say, yes, here I am, Lord, use me. Here we are, Lord, use us. And the Spirit of God doesn't need the majority. The Spirit of God just needs you, me, us, willing to work in harmony with Him. So in other words, do you wanna build His kingdom or do you wanna build your kingdom? So this is the tension that we're facing. Vision is gonna cause you to be uncomfortable because when you get a hold of vision, you're not gonna live a comfortable life. When you get a hold of mission, there's nothing about being on mission that's comfortable. You wanna go to a church that's got its own building. It never has to move around to any hotel in this city. Then you're in the wrong church because we are on the move again next week. However, before you quit to move to your more stable environment, let me tell you, we've had over a hundred people who've come and said, I wanna be a part of this church in the last month. And we've had no over 60 decisions for Jesus. So obviously God is at work. What's God doing? God doesn't seem to be worried about a building. He's like, I'm at work, I'm at work. Just give me something to work with. Now I realise it's not convenient and it is hurting us. It's not actually perfect, perfect, perfect. It's far from perfect. However, there's spirit in this church, in this people, in you, that is resilient. There's a courage rising up. There's a standout attitude, mentality that I believe is not just for work and for startups and for business and banking and finance and education and every area of life. It's for His church. And that spirit, by the way, didn't come from a, your DNA. It came from His spirit. Because some of us have an interesting DNA. In other words, we might not have courage in our family. My Irish side of the family, we've got alcoholics, but we don't have really a history of courage, maybe false courage from the bottle. But the point is, is I love when God gets a hold of you and He says, hey, you're not gonna get your courage from a bottle. You're gonna get your courage from the spirit. And that's been my story. Amen. And that's what your story can be. So changing people's perceptions about Jesus and His church is not an easy job. People's mindsets are fixed. So it's not easy to change them. I think the people come from other church cultures, they're, they're even more, I think, fixed because it, it's something that, you know, it can be so strong that it's hard to break. But it is possible if people are willing to adapt. 
But we are here in Berlin and we want to establish ourselves. And we've been here for 14 years this year. We'll be celebrating 14 years. So we're just teenagers. Amen. Not even preteens anymore. We're teenagers and we are, we are loving it. But what I'm saying is, is that we are moving towards the future. So for us, it's looking towards Eastern Europe. So Prague, Warsaw. Next week, we'll be talking about some of the team, introducing you to who's involved in our church to help serve our church. But we'll be asking people if they're interested in going to Prague or Warsaw next week. So we'll talk about that then. So we've got vision on Berlin and beyond. And we've got seven defining age groups that we want to minister to in our church. And so I'm going to put that on the screen so you can have a look at you. Have a look. As soon as it comes up, you will definitely go and zone into you. Can we do that, team? Is that okay? There we go. See, you're already looking for yourself. That's the age groups that we as a church will be ministering to. So the vision is to establish the house of God in Berlin and to be able to move towards Eastern Europe and pioneer again. But we need to establish ourselves first. But to establish this church, we need to understand that these are the seven age groups that we will be ministering to because this is all in our church right now. Zero to seven, we've got a beautiful couple I think here tonight, Steph and Dennis. Give us a wave if you're here. Holler, scream, shout, wave your baby in the air again. Dylan is at home with oh, his favorite place right now. Now it's still you guys, but he's getting, getting familiar with Omar and Opa and he's like, these are good to me. Dylan is their beautiful baby boy. We dedicated him to the Lord last week, but zero to seven. So they're now stepping in into this family group and uh, and then we've got the eight to 12 year olds and again, profound age group, um, yet still very much shaped by the care and the love of their family or their, you know, the people that they're entrusted to. It's not always a mum and dad, sometimes it's just mum, sometimes just dad. But the truth is we're an extended family to all them people. I love that they can bring their kids to the house of God and they're loved on and they're cherished and they're spoken well of. And sometimes it's the only day in the week where them kids are gonna be giving that kind of attention, you know? So we got, we got to realise that it's no perfect people coming to church, just people from all walks of life. And we've got this eight to 10 age group, which is also an interesting time because it's where uh, that age group, you all know it because we've all been there. And that is where our bodies are changing. Our brain is changing. We're going from kids to um, supposedly adults. You can Google it later. One of the words is called puberty. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. But the point is, it's actually a significant time because biologically we are being prepared for the future. And it can be an interesting time also because it can actually be a difficult time. So again, the love and the respect and understanding of what's going on. Then you've got the 13 to 17 year olds. I mean, the most incredible age group you could ever imagine. You missed your opportunity. We know what you're going to do with the book. You're going to sell it buy two more, make more money and sell it again. <laughs> I know what you're gonna do. But what I am trying to say is, that's their war zone, school. It's a war zone. You don't wanna stand out in school because if you do, you know what's coming. And so that's an area where love, understanding, absolute support. And you know, it's not just about food at that age. It's actually about treating them with the utmost respect. 
And so anyway, there's a lot more we could say about it. 1825, that's probably most people in this room. It's an incredible age, young adults, whatever you want to call it. But I got saved when I was 23 and I thank God for it every single time. But it's an age group that is experimental. It's an age group that really doesn't know in detail what they're going to do. Some do, but most don't. And it's okay. And we need to always reassure people. It's okay to know, well, I have to do maths. Yes, you do. You do. Because you live in a maths world. But what I am trying to say to you is, is that it's a precious group because friendships are really important. You get it wrong here, it can pay for it dearly. Maybe even years. But you've got to realise that, yeah, it's experimental, but not to your own harm. And this is where you've got to figure out, well, 13 to 17, I mean, it is possible that people have been involved sexually at some point in that age group, but this age group is highly possible that that is where people are going to have activity in that area. But if you're a child of God, there's got to be something in you that says, I am not going to give myself to anybody or anything, no matter what the pressure is, no matter what the culture says, because God's people have to understand something has to be sacred in your life. You get this one wrong, you actually break your ability to trust anyone and everyone. It's just an area that we don't talk enough about, but that's because it's a difficult thing to talk about in church. It shouldn't be, but I do it with great respect because it's a personal thing. And yet God's wisdom says, hey, there's something that you've got to keep sacred. Anyway, this age group, it's profound, it's precious. Encounter is going to be for this age group. It's about how can we help you to serve God for the future, amen? And then you've got the 26 to 40 year olds, they're making money, but they're spending it all. <laughs> got not much left. And you want me to tithe again? No, 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 no. You're educated, but no one realises how smart you are. Not quite yet, anyway. You're doing your best, you know, and it's actually a very important time in your life because you're investing, you're investing, you're investing, but not getting that much back. You're building, you're building, you're building. You're making decisions, you're making decisions. So there's a whole lot of going on, a whole lot of activity, but you don't often get the rewards for it because they're coming, but you don't get to see them straight away. And then the 41 to 6 year olds, I'm so glad I'm in that bracket. But me and Joyce are there and uh, we've called it mature adults, but I think someone's teasing there. But the thing is, you can be 60 and not mature. It's got nothing to do with your age. But then we've got the 61 plus. I love that. Put Jurg in there. <laughs> He's all there by himself, you know. Crystal's in there as well. But, but what I am trying to say to you is all ages precious. Seven very defining ages in our life. Don't get your 60s and life's about regret. Life in that age needs to be about reward. I look back over my life, rewarding. But you see the, could you put it back up, please? The key the key is to make sure you don't end up living with regret is don't neglect the two, three middle sections. From 13 to 26, there's such a fight for your life. It's a spiritual war zone. And the house of God is going to help you more than you could imagine. And the armor of God is something you can actually build into your life and through your life. So this is the vision of our church is that we minister to all of these age groups, the needs, the wants, the desires. All of these age groups are precious. The Lord works through the generations. And so how can we serve each other? And again, when you're eight years old, you tend to look up. 
My daughter was seven when we moved here and she met Teeny. Teeny was 18 and my daughter thought she was the best thing since sliced bread. She's just like, Teeny, I want to be Teeny. Teeny, you know, because it's like big cousins, auntie and, aunties and uncles. You need someone you can look up to. But one of the ways that young adults can help just not go crazy is stop making it about you. Start getting involved in the younger guys. Why? Because they think you're amazing. They think you're amazing. Really? Yeah, they do. Go ask them. Well, they're not going to be telling you you're amazing. That's awkward straight away. But what I'm trying to say is 26 to 40-year-olds, maybe you're going to get married in this age group. In Australia, they're all married by 21. But here, it's like, I'm 31. I might think about it. If I can't get them in church, I'll go online. Very quiet in this <laughs> online dating church. But let's talk about that another day. You haven't solved anything, whether it's online or whether it's in a room. At the end of the day, getting to know people is still hard work. I met Joyce 20, how many years ago did I meet you? Many years ago. <laughs> and and, and we, when I met Joyce, listen, this is a true story. This is a true story, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. And, 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 and she's telling a friend of her, she's seeing a friend, she's staying with a friend, and she's like, I don't know if we're going to make it. And she's like, what do you mean? We're just so different. Well, we did make it and we're still very different. <laughs> well, I'll tell you now though, she's coming over to my side, which is coffee. She always asks me in the morning, do you want a cup of tea? I'm like, coffee. But today I made her a coffee. 28 years later, but listen, listen. You gotta understand, it's not about, you know, when we looked at each other, we did that for a moment, really. And then we decided when we said our vows before God, family and friends. We looked at each other and we said, you know, everything I have is yours and everything that's yours is yours. You know, that's the way it works. And, uh, you know, and then we turned around and we looked in the same direction together side by side. And that's probably one of the best pictures you'll ever get of what a marriage needs to look like. Are you looking in the same direction? And what I'm trying to say is, is that when you get into 26 and 40s, you've got to remember you might be building a home, you might be building a nice apartment, you might be building a great career, but have you got room for others? Don't shrink your circle when God's trying to enlarge your circle. Marriage is a blessing, but it's not just you and your partner or you and your, you know, it's, it's enlarge your circle, let other people in. When a baby comes into your life, by the grace of God, if that's what you want and that's what you're believing for, it's not always that way. Some people, it's such a journey, such a fight to be able to conceive and have a child. But what I am saying is, is if that comes into your life and you're graced by God with a child, you, you, again, don't shrink. The child's small, but the future's big. So many people in our Western culture, we shrink our lives and, and it's just... And, 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 and you don't really know until it goes wrong or there's a problem or a challenge and then we have to go to a professional. Uh, they're, they're real moments, but you've also got to realise God wants to help you through friends and community. God wants to put other people in your life. It takes a village to raise a child. And so these are what we've got to navigate is there's wisdom in the house of God for every age group, for every generation. Let me say it this way for the vision. God always tells me this, reminds me, everything you need for this vision is already in the house. Everything we need for our future is already in this house. You've got the people, the money's already here, it just has to be released. The people are already here, they just got to step up, step out, step in, do something. 
Amen? And when we wrestle these things, we realize, oh my goodness. But it's good because vision's going to separate those who are His and those who think they're His. Those who are and those who aren't. And we should never apologize for that tension. So these are the things that we're talking about tonight. Becoming a partner in the vision. There's seven questions on the back. I'm not going to do it right now because I want to take time on this characteristics of a standout person. But these seven questions, maybe you could take time this week to read it. Um, Maybe you can get some friends and say, hey, let's have a look at this together. And they're really simple questions. They're not, I don't believe intrusive, invasive. I don't think they're confrontational. But I do feel they're good questions if you are here at this moment. Vision gives people a reason to stay. Vision also gives people a reason to leave. I've always struggled with that one, but I've accepted not everyone wants to live in a house of vision. And I don't understand that, but that's, that's because you don't belong to me, you belong to God. So He's going to have to talk to you about what are you going to do about that. But if number one, the first thing is, is do you believe in what we're doing as a church? You know? Number two, are you willing to make, take ownership of the vision? It's not just Mark and Joyce's, it's mine, it's ours. It's, it's not just me, it's we. And there's other questions there that you can look at at your own time. But if you want to become a partner in a vision, I think it's practical as well. It's not just, yeah. But if you're going to say yes, then turn it into action. And so what's action look like for us right now? I believe it's about if we believe in what we're doing as a church, we want to become a partner in the vision. And that means start tithing. That's what it means. It means that you're serious about it and you're willing to honour God and put Him first. Because who's God going to work with? Those who honour Him. He's always going to work with them. Set up a regular giving. It's possible because people can set up their Netflix accounts. People can set up their Spotify. They can set up whatever they want. But would you set up regular giving in line with the vision, in line with the mission, in line with your heart, in line with God, in line with where we're going? I think it's a fair call because it's called becoming a partner in the vision. That's what a partner in the vision does. They honor the Lord with the tithes and they actually realize that regular giving is going to build strength into the house. Plans and preparation for Heart for the House, which is in November this year. Annually, we take an annual offering once in the year to help advance us. Tithes and offerings operators, tithes and offerings run the church, but it's Heart for the House that advances the church. Percentage of last year's Heart for the House is going to help us to get serious in Eastern Europe. We're already giving from that pot, but we want to be able to invest into Warsaw and Prague. And so there's a percentage of Heart for the House last year is going to be used for that. So again, if you want vision to be fulfilled, you need two things. You need people and you need finances. You've got people, but no money. You're going nowhere. If you've got money, but no people, you're going nowhere. But you put them two together, you've got people and finances. Cool. We're going somewhere in Jesus' name. We should never apologize for that. Amen? So these are the things that you can take and you can look at your own time, pray about. But let me read from Daniel chapter 6. I'm just going to do this quickly. And I think we forget sometimes there's so many things we can draw from the Word of God that can actually build strength into our own lives. So I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 6. And it's, again, a young guy called Daniel. Um, He finds himself in exile. He is taken from his homeland, from Jerusalem. And he is basically, 
There, there's a, a more powerful nation that is dominating at this time, uh, Babylonian, uh, the Persians, the Medes. This is all a history moment. And uh, they come in and they dominate and they take the best of Israel, the best of the cream of the crop, all of the, the best guys. They take them and they say, you're ours now. We, you, we want you to now be a part of our setup. So this is what's happening. So Daniel chapter six, King Darius, the Mede, divided, decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. So he's now got a huge kingdom and he divides it into 120 provinces. He appoints a governor to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as senior official administrators to oversee the governors and to protect, listen, the king's interests. So he's got 120 leaders. He's got a kingdom to rule. He puts 120 leaders in and then he picks three. They're gonna oversee the 120 because he wants his interests protected, not the 120 looking after their own interests. So you can see this is interesting. Verse three, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other senior officials and governors. Because of Daniel's great ability and excellent spirit, the king made plans for him to place him over the entire empire. This made the other officials and governors very jealous. Of course it would. Just like you being promoted at work. All your work colleagues around you going, I'm so happy for you. Are we still friends? This is an ancient story, but this stuff still happens today. This made the other officials and governors very jealous. They began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his social media. How he was handling his public government affairs. But they didn't find anything to criticize or to condemn. He was faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for his, for accusing Daniel will be in connection with his private religion. We can't get him on anything. Let's get him with his faith. The enemy is always looking to knock a standout person out. Are you gonna be that easy to take out? Am I gonna be that easy to be knocked out? There has to be something today in this generation that says, you can try, but you will not succeed. You can try and take me out, but you will not succeed. Why? Because greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And His blood speaks louder than anything else. 
and the enemy who is called the accuser of the brethren, his voice will be brought to naught because your father will not listen to the accuser, but he will listen to his sons and daughters. This is not a license to be an idiot. It's just the fact is, He has nothing on you when you belong to Jesus. You are untouchable. So don't make it easier for Him. Oh, the pressure. No, the pressure's not on you, my friend. The pressure's on Jesus. Well, now I've got to be good. No, He was good so you can win the battle. Well, now I got to be faithful. No, He is faithful forever. That's where you can borrow your faithfulness from because of who you belong to. This is not about how good you are. It's how good Jesus is. God is using the story of Daniel to speak into the future of a standout generation. These are the characteristics of Jesus. So you gotta remember the enemy is gonna try and come after you because people don't like it when you do well. They don't like it when you stand tall. They don't like it when you stand strong. They don't like it when you everyone else gives in, but you keep yourself pure. You keep yourself sacred. You keep yourself for the King and the Kingdom. You keep yourself for what He says you're gonna do with your life. And that is not something that we have all done well, but it is something that we can bring back. Why? Because He is ever faithful. He is the forgiver of God's people. He is the restorer. He is the redeemer. You've got to remember the pressure is always on Jesus and never on us. He lifts us up because of who He is. When I am weak, He makes me strong. You've got to get your faith right. And so what stood out with this guy, Daniel, is he stood out to the king because he had a different spirit. You are gonna stand out in this world, in this city, in this culture, when you have a different spirit. You're not like everyone else. You have a different spirit. That doesn't make you arrogant, it makes you humble. Because you know where this comes from. Number two, he had credibility. He had a proven history. If you wanna build some credibility into your life, you're gonna have to realise you need to give yourself a chance to prove some history into your life. Where did you come from? What's your past? How have you been doing? How are you going? If you want to have credibility, you've got to have a proven history. If your history is constant failure, you're gonna have to change something. And again, what are we changing? Changing what you believe, why you believe. Get your relationship with Jesus figured out. Why? Because He's the one that will help you prove that you've got a good track record. Credibility is about having a good track record. Let me tell you, consistency is very important to the Kingdom of God. Consistency in Wi-Fi, is that important? Consistency in Bluetooth, is that important? Consistency on network, is that important? Consistency in your bank account, is that important? Well, let me tell you, if you think it's, a, if it's important, it's important in everything. Are you consistent in the house of God? Are you consistent with your walk with God? Oh, see, and that's where the enemy wants to trip you up. See, you're not consistent. No, 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 maybe I, I, I'm not consistent, but Jesus is. And I tell you now, I'm better with Him than with you. So up, up, 
Amen? It's not about you being such a superhero. It's Jesus has done this and we are brought in by Him and we stay in by Him. Don't let the accuser take you out because maybe there's truth in things that we've done or things that we do, but that's exactly what the enemy does. He wants to take you out and say, see, 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 you're not good enough. You're not good enough, eh? you little holy, holy. You're not holy, are you? And you just say, shut up. In Italian, stazito. In German, halt. <laughs> Sorry. Halt. Acton. Number three, he was more capable than the others. He increased his capacity. Prove, prove it. Increase your capacity. You know how you increase your capacity? You've got to pour out what you've already got. You've got to give away what you already got. Amen. Number four, he had an excellent spirit. In other words, he made it better. He made it better. He made it better. Can you make it better? Can you make your job better? Can you make your house better? Can you make your relationships better? Can you make the house of God better? Can you make it better? You can because it's in you, because the Spirit of God is in you. Number five, five, he was faithful. In other words, he had godly confidence. Number six, he was responsible, which meant maturity. And number seven, he was trustworthy. In other words, you could invest into him because he was trustworthy. So these are the characteristics, I believe, of a standout person. They have a different spirit, they're proven history, increased capacity, they make it better, godly confidence, they're mature, and they're a good investment. Can I declare over every single person in this room, that's what Jesus has done for you and me. If you put yourself through this checklist, some of us may not come out of this checklist very good. We're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to the front for prayer. Or maybe I'm running away from this place because it really pushes me over. But you've got to read it the right way. You've got to read it the right way. This is what Jesus has done for us. He had a different spirit. He had a proven history. He increased his capacity. He made it better. Godly confidence kept him all the way. There was a maturity and there was an investment that our Heavenly Father said, yes. You and I can live with standout characteristics because of Jesus. It might not have been your story in the past, but when Jesus gets in your life, let me tell you what your story will become like. I became faithful. But again, where do you get it from? Jesus. I've got a good track record of consistency. Where'd you get that from? My relationship with Jesus. So what I want you to understand is don't let the enemy take you out and don't even allow yourself to take you out. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Believe the truth of your heavenly Father. You're the most precious thing and you always will be. Don't devalue what God has made incredibly value. And don't cheapen your life when you've been declared expensive. Amen. Don't misspend your life. Spend it beautifully. You've got so many years ahead of you, but you won't do it without His Spirit. So let's build a house where the Spirit of God is honoured. Let's build a house where sons and daughters can come home and stay home. Are we creating an atmosphere that is a safe environment that helps people to recover 
from the effects of sin and discover the promise of God for their lives? Are we creating an atmosphere for people to heal and become whole? Are we helping people to come closer to Christ and His purposes for their life? Are we helping people to move towards God-given future? Let this house be a house of vision. Let it be a house of hope. Let it be a house of salvation. Let it be a house full of miracles because we belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You are always His. You will always be His. You belong to Jesus. Now go help someone. Now go serve someone. Go to Declare His Majesty, we belong to Jesus.